Hello and welcome to the Resort Hoppers podcast. The only podcast with siblings talking about Disney World, probably. Probably. Well, the only current running, I actually did find another siblings podcast. It, it was another brother and sister, and by the end, like the sister was on like every third episode. Oh, like there was like a replacement sister. Oh, I won't replace you. Thank you. No one can replace me. We should probably introduce ourselves a little bit. Give our loyal listeners an idea of who we are. Hi, I'm B. I live outside of New York City. I work as a music professional, and I love going to Disney World. And I'm Jay. I currently live in Texas. Might be changing that pretty soon. I also like going to Disney World. I am not nearly as experienced, but as we mentioned, we're siblings, and we grew up going on occasion when we lived in Florida. Neither of us live in Florida at the moment, but we are still both fans and have gone back since moving away. Yeah, we both started as semi-locals. We are about a two to two and a half hour drive away, and now we live far away, but still go back as often as we can. So we have the perspective of both a semi-local and a vacationer. So I guess we can talk about our first trip a little bit, give an idea of where we're coming from there. Uh, we went for the first time in 2003. I assume that was your first time. I mean, you've got... It actually was not. Oh, well, this is new information to me. Oh, sorry. Well, you were like two or three, so you don't remember. So my first trip was a day trip, and it. I don't have very fond memories of it. I was eight or nine, and I went with some older cousins and an uncle, and I was a little bit of a late bloomer when it came to roller coasters. <laughs> and of course, they were all really into thrill rides and roller coasters. So it wasn't a good uh, match of people. So luckily, <laughs> I didn't just hate Disney from then on. Um, we did take a family vacation in 2003, which was your first trip, and I'm considering that my first real trip. Yes, we stayed at Port Orleans Riverside, which I don't actually remember that. I just remember being at a hotel with doors <laughs> on the outside, and everyone else remembers Riverside. I was just eight years old, I think. And I was 14. Actually, not the worst ages for Disney. 14 is kind of in the universal range, I'd say, but... Kind of. And I had been to Universal Islands of Adventure on a school trip or two before that, but I had never experienced the Disney magic. And mm -hmm. it really was, to me, as a 14-year-old, it was a very magical trip. Um, I remember being super impressed by what was then the, I think they were called Keys to the World, where it was your hotel key and your theme park ticket all in one. That was mind-blowing. Of course, that was the precursor to Magic Bands, but that was like, wow. Whoa. Yeah. I would say that was when I began to love roller coasters. I was definitely afraid of them beforehand. And that was kind of when I became something of a coaster enthusiast. So since that very formative trip back in 2003, wow, that's 16 years ago. Oh, so now everyone knows how old we are now. We went on a few little family trips for a few nights, maybe two or three nights at a time. I think that was the only time we ever stayed on property as a family. Yes. Yes, you're right. Uh, we stayed offside at various, you know, a Sheraton or a Hampton Inn or a whatever local offside hotel. Yeah. And I think during that era, 
as I remember it, the prices were much more competitive for offsite hotels than I would consider them to be today. Oh, yeah. I mean, our dad was great at going on Priceline and getting a decent, like, three star hotel for 15 or $20 a night. Yep. Which now that's. Even with inflation, it's not so competitive. <laughs> Did you have a favorite park then? On that trip, I remember really liking what was then known as MGM Studios. Okay. And I mean, I didn't, I don't think there was a park I didn't like. Yeah, we did not do Animal Kingdom that trip. That's why I don't remember going to Animal Kingdom. <laughs> yep. I was like, did we go? I don't remember. Nope, we didn't. The very first time we went as a family, I think it was 2006-ish, because that was when uh, we went when Everest was still in previews. So ah. I don't know if we got to see the actual full working Yeti, but we wrote it before the official opening date. I remember Woo-hoo. that much. Because, Yay for us. Yep, that was in the era of my life when I watched Disney Channel. So I was very promoted to, <laughs> but I think it was Miley Cyrus's TV brother was promoting it on the Disney Channel, if I remember correctly. Miley Cyrus's TV brother. Yep. Oh, and I remember really liking the water parks back in 2003. Yeah, I think that's the only time I've ever been to the water parks. I don't think I've been back. You know, me too. I am not a big sun person. No. I go to the beach at night, if at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a very fair complexion, shall we say, and I sunburn really easily, so I don't spend a lot of time at pools and beaches and water parks during the day. I'm remembering like doing so much stuff, which kind of, I guess, since we had an Animal Kingdom day free, was probably how we got all the water parks in. But I know we went to Disney Quest multiple times, or at least I did. I think you did, yeah. Split up. Um, I would have called Disney Quest my favorite Disney park at that time. <laughs> of course, it was still relatively new and not demolished back then, so it was more relevant than it would ever be again. I can unironically say that I love Disney Quest, and also it's probably a great thing that it's gone. I would have also called MGM probably my favorite actual park. I still like Rock and Roller Coaster, even though now as a 30-year-old, it's not quite as fun as it was as a teenager. Yep. And an early 20-something. I'll definitely ride it when I'm in that park. Yep. Um, I wear earplugs now. Wow. Wow. It's definitely necessary on Dinosaur. Um, dinosaur. That that ride is... Hi, and welcome to the Old People in Disney podcast, where we have to wear earplugs on Dinosaur. Yep. And for illuminations. No. Too loud. Too loud. No. Our father loved to get in the Indiana Jones stunt show as... An extra. Every uh, time. He was quite skilled at this. They always picked him. Yep. I, I guess yes. he just looked like an enthusiastic theme park dad. Yeah, he just... He, there was just something about the way that he stood up and raised his hand <laughs> that drew all the attention to him. Mm, so, dork. you know, we had that mix of, oh, this is kind of cool, my dad's in the show, and also, ah, oh, my dad's in the show, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, and my dad's in the show. Like, has he ever even seen it from the stands? This is the fifth time. Oh, you know, that's true. I bet he hasn't seen it as a non-participant. <laughs> Part of me is sad to see the original concept of a, of a studio's park go away. And even Agreed. Universal is moving away from that with Harry Potter and going for a more immersive environment. But yeah, it's kind of interesting to see Disney do something 
so un-Disney in a non-immersive park. As a young movie fan, that was an awesome experience. I mean, it's it's changed so much, and it is continuing to change. Personally, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm excited for Mickey's Runaway Railway. I I hope that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a good experience. I still haven't been to Toy Story Land, but I'm excited. So we'll see where it goes with these more immersive lands with Toy Story and, and Galaxy's Edge coming. I'm getting more excited for Galaxy's Edge than I thought I would be. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I've been a Star Wars fan since I was eight. <laughs> we saw that good old special edition. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the canonical edition for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think we also liked Epcot quite a bit back then. Oh, the yeah. Day. How can we forget? Yeah, I think then I would have said Magic Kingdom was my third favorite. Maybe we're just wired wrong. But but yeah, Epcot Club Cool. That was the, the greatest thing on earth. Yes, that watermelon soda. I still go back for Beverly. Same. I actually unironically like it. I guess we are wired wrong. <laughs> yeah, we've both done Candlelight Processional. As performers. Yes. So if you don't know, uh, most of the people in the mass choir in the Candlelight Processional are high schoolers who come from good choral programs, mostly around North and Central Florida. And I appeared in it as a singer five times. And that's not because I took five years to get through high school. (laughs) I went four years as a high schooler and another year as sort of a chaperone, but also singing um, at my former high school. And I also went a sixth year as a director. So I helped prepare a local choir for their audition for Candlelight that's the first time I ever watched it because I got special seating as a quote director unquote. So I love, I love Disney music. I love backstage Disney. I love performance. And as I said, I am a music professional. So put it together, Disney music. And I love it. We mentioned stayed at, I've stayed at Riverside. I've stayed at Art of Animation and I've stayed at the Dolphin and spent healthy bits of time in the Grand Floridian, Boardwalk, All-Star Movies, not so much on All-Star Movies, and Animal Kingdom Lodge, and I'm sure you've been to all of them. Well, I've visited every single resort because there was a particular trip a few years ago where we made it a goal to visit every single resort. (laughs) Um, It ended up being a seven-day trip because of a snowstorm. It was supposed to be five days, and then it became seven. It Um, snowed at Disney World. It surely did not. It snowed in New York and New Jersey and the whole Northeast. So we were stuck in Florida for an extra few days, but we only had two park days out of that whole trip. So the rest of the time we were visiting resorts. So as I said, I've visited every single resort. I have stayed at four out of the five values. I've stayed at Pop, Art of Animation, All-Star Sports for one night, and All-Star Music on a couple of different trips. I have stayed at Coronado Springs, Caribbean Beach, Port Orleans Riverside, and Port Orleans French Quarter. I've stayed at both the Swan and the Dolphin a couple of times each. And my first real Disney Deluxe is coming up this year, August, staying at the Boardwalk for the first time. So we obviously love not only the parks, but the resorts. 
the restaurants. Hence the uh, hence resort the hoppers. title. Yeah. So yeah, food is kind of the main point of going to Disney World, especially once you've done all the key attractions. There's plenty of food to eat in between. And today we're going to talk about some of our favorite restaurants on property. Roughly ranked from five to one, and we'll have some honorable mentions in there. Uh, what's your first on the list? So my number five choice is Le Al, which is the bakery in the France Pavilion. It's kind of hidden away in the back, and it is especially a great place to get breakfast. Um, I love getting there near the park opening, going right back to Le Al, getting a quiche or two. For breakfast, um, you can enjoy coffee, you can enjoy orange juice or a mimosa, or you can just get a straight-up glass of champagne if you're into that. Um, I especially enjoy it if I'm staying at one of the Crescent Lake resorts. And if you do go, I recommend going at a non-peak time because it does get very crowded at peak lunchtime and peak dinner time. So breakfast, in my experience, has always been quiet. And there's plenty of seating, which is why I love it. And it's my number five. Very good. I am putting it on my list for the next time. All right. My number five is Woody's Lunchbox. A pretty new option. Just opened last year in Toy Story Land. And it's a good quick service option. I had the tachos with the vegetarian chili. We failed to mention that both of us are vegetarians, so we're hippies. Had the tachos with the vegetarian chili. Had the real cheese, but they do have a completely vegan option with the tachos. Tater tots. Potato barrels, I think is what they actually call them, but tater tots. Yes, they are potato barrels at Disney. Yes. The potato barrels with your, uh, with the, with chili on top, vegetarian if you so choose. And there's cheese and sour cream. And except for the sour cream, they have an entirely vegan, they have a vegan option for all of those elements on the tachas. You could have it as a meal. We had it as a snack when I was there, uh, with some friends last September. Very delicious, good quick service option. Uh, the whole land is nicely themed. Um, it, it's simple on the surface, but there's a lot of care put into making this Andy's backyard. You can get alcoholic beverages if that's your choice, which is a little weird considering it's the a very child-themed land, but it's Woody's lunchbox, not Andy's lunchbox, so it's okay because Woody is old enough to drink, as we learned in Toy Story 2. How old is Woody? Um... Well, the films take place in present day as of release, right? We would say more or less. I mean, Woody's Roundup is, if it's an old family toy, then it probably dates back to when the show was on. And that's what, 50s or 60s, presumably? Yeah, so he's like, he's been of age for quite some time. Yeah, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we, we would have some issues if it was Andy's lunchbox. Well, of course, he's 26 now. So never mind. That's true. Older than me. But yeah, Woody's Lunchbox, nice theming. I still haven't been, but it will be a priority in my August trip because the last time I went was right before Toy Story Land opened. So I will be there soon. My number four is Tutto Gusto in the Italy Pavilion in Epcot once again. It is kind of a little secret. It's actually attached to Tutto Italia, which is one of the table service restaurants in Italy. It has a separate entrance, but they do share some things like bathrooms 
and I think they share a kitchen also. The theming inside is really beautiful. It's got this old European, Italian, cozy, warm feeling inside. However, it is very well air conditioned. <laughs> so during the summer, it's a really good spot if you're having a long stroll through World Showcase. And of course, it is hot, it is humid, it is exhausting. I love to go stop in Tutto Gusto and enjoy some air conditioning, enjoy some cold water. The service is excellent. You will have your main server assigned to your table, but they also have all of their servers coming around constantly to refill your cold water glass, which is really nice. The servers are very knowledgeable about the menu, about the wine list, about the beers available. Um, they have everything from small plates like a cheese selection or some artichokes and olives to panini to a full plate of pasta if you are in the mood for a full meal. Uh, they don't take reservations, so it's first come, first serve. But I've usually been able to get a table inside. I've had to wait a couple of times because it is pretty small inside. But like I said, great place to enjoy a little break from the outside. And... It's delicious. That's one of the nice things in general about many of the Epcot restaurants is that they are kind of smaller and um, many of them, just because there's so many of them, they have to be smaller in World Showcase. So you get a more intimate atmosphere a lot of the time. Yeah, intimate. That's a good way to say it. They have they have some high top tables. They have some regular size tables and they also have some couches. So you, you do feel like you're kind of alone and it is really intimate it's not the uh cosmic rays feeding trough exactly <laughs> <laughs> well my number four is boma i know we've both been there i've only been for breakfast i've been twice for breakfast i think maybe three times at least twice for breakfast and i've been once for dinner also yes and i've been i've been twice for breakfast one time alone um, and one time with friends. Going solo can be kind of an intimidating experience, but server was fantastic in, when I was there and didn't make me feel awkward or anything. And in general, I'll, I'll say that, that you don't have to stick to quick service and eating on alone on a trash can. The table service is, is just fine if you're doing a few days solo, as I did on my last trip. The breakfast for Boma is a pretty good value. It's a buffet presentation at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. There's a fair bit of variety, but it's still... Um, as with pretty much everything Disney, there is safety. There's You can get your Mickey waffles and your bacon and your standard breakfast food, but you can also be a little more adventurous. A couple just dishes to highlight. Um, they have a tomato stew and some grilled tomatoes, which are both fantastic. I'm fantastic. Not, I am not a huge tomato person in general, but both of those blew me away. They were my two favorite things I ate last time. I am a huge tomato person, and I love those grilled tomatoes. I could eat like 10 of them. And yep. these are like full-size Roma tomatoes. It's not like cherry tomatoes <laughs> or something. They're so good. The eggs with goat cheese, another highlight. Most of the staff is um, are native Africans. So if you want to have a conversation and uh, learn something about some different cultures over food, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, it's a great value also, especially for breakfast, for the variety of food. And I mean, it's a buffet, so you can eat a lot of food there. And beverages are included, so you can get your coffee, you can get your pog juice, and it's all included in the buffet price. All right, what's your number three? 
My number three is Spice Road Table. As is mine. Yay! In the Morocco Pavilion at Epcot. I love to go at Illuminations time and sit outside on the patio and have a fantastic view of Illuminations. The service is amazing. Um, Disney service is always good, but I've had, even for Disney, a standout experience at Spice Road. There's a really nice variety of food. There are enough safe choices for non-adventurous eaters, but then there are a few slightly more adventurous exotic choices as well. They have lots of tapas-style appetizers where you can order a few for the table and share. They also have larger entrees, and the, the drink selection is nice. They have a sparkling sangria. I don't remember. I, I think I got a picture of it for the table, and <laughs> it was... I did not have a picture to myself. <laughs> we got a picture for the table, and it was some of the best sangria that I've ever had. Delicious, great service, great illuminations view. I Another place that I have been by myself, it's a good option if you're feeling adventurous and don't want to have to convince your party to eat some Moroccan food. As B said, there's plenty of safe options for non-adventurous eaters, but I watched Illuminations there from inside. Now, it wasn't a very crowded evening. It was as off-peak season as off-peak season gets at Disney. It was kind of a dreary evening, so I didn't ask for a table outside, but still, they uh, pipe in the music and you have a great view through the windows. I would like them to be a little bit bigger windows, because... Um, I imagine if it's crowded, it'd be harder to get a good view, but it is still enjoyable to watch Illuminations from inside at Spice Road Table. A dish I think we've both had that I'd like to highlight is the Brie Fondue. Oh, yeah. And I, kn- I know you have more cheese experience than I do. <laughs> uh, bringing just a very wonderful, buttery cheese when I went, it was served with almonds and a marmalade on top and served with some bread and kind of a garlicky buttery with the sweet fruit. It's not something that you would like necessarily think of, but it was probably the best thing I had the entire trip. Yeah, that brie fondue. Um, it's, I mean, I've had baked brie at other places and it's basically a baked brie, um, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's buttery, it's warm it's well seasoned. Mine came with, I think, dried apricots and almonds on top. So apparently they change it up once in a while. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Very good. So what do you have for number two? Number two, I have Flying Fish, which is on the boardwalk. I've been twice now. It is one of Disney's signature restaurants. And it is themed really beautifully inside. It was recently renovated Everything inside is somehow either water-themed or fish-themed. And some of it's really subtle. Some of it's more obvious. Like, there's this bubble decor. It's hard to describe. Just go for yourself and see it. But everything's kind of in these calming blues. Even the silverware has like like a fishtail mermaid scale sort of design on it. And like I said, it's subtle. It's something you might not notice immediately, but it's really beautiful inside. Even the candle holders had sort of a wave or fish theme. The menus, the carpet, the furniture, everything. The food is 
really high quality, really delicious. If you're vegetarian, be sure to ask for the vegetarian menu when you check in because they have a whole separate menu. And I believe they have at least three to four distinct appetizers and three to four entrees as well, just for vegetarians. We got a cheese plate there once that was really amazing. Mm, cheese. cheese. Yeah, I love cheese. <laughs> it's the best. I also had a soup there that was Maybe the best soup I've ever had in my entire life. They have a good wine list. Very extensive. The service is excellent. The servers are happy to recommend things. And the free bread. It is a seaweed and sesame seed bread. Interesting. And yeah, it sounds like maybe that's kind of weird. But it's subtle enough. It's not like, oh, I'm shoving seaweed in my mouth. It's like bread with a subtle hint of seaweed. And it was served with a sea salt butter. So seaweed, sea salt, delicious. What's your number two? My number two is a quick service restaurant in the Magic Kingdom. It is Pecos Bills. So my last trip was a seven-day trip. I spent the first few days of that solo, then went went back with a friend. I went to Pecos Bills three times on that trip. My friend suggested going to it. And I did not tell him that I had already been twice on the trip because I didn't want to suggest that we not go to Pecos Bills. That's how much I love Pecos Bills. I I guess Southwest Mexican style food, just somewhere in that general food genre. The highlight is the toppings bar where tons of onions, different salsas, um, jalapenos, cheese, of course. Um, As I understand it, there used to be guacamole, but now they've moved that behind the counter, which in my book is fine because it's like $2 for guacamole. It's it's cheap, but it's still very good guacamole, especially for a counter service restaurant. The chips and the queso are awesome. I got veggie nachos last time I went and was incredibly pleased with it. Mobile ordering worked very well for me. And maybe my favorite detail of Pecos Bills is the transition in the eating area. It shares the, its seating space with Tortuga Tavern, uh, which is in Adventureland, while Pecos Bills is in Frontierland. So, granted, those those lands have some overlap in theming, but there is a very distinct line when you leave Pecos Bills and you enter uh, Tortuga Tavern. You could miss it if you're not paying attention, but there is a difference when you leave uh, Frontierland and enter Adventureland. It is it's it's subtle, but it is deliberate and it is awesome. So a lot of times. Pecos Bill's seating was overflowing into Tortuga Tavern. It's a bigger area for Pecos Bill, but fantastic theming, good food, very good value. You can have a full meal dessert, probably in a drink for under 15 bucks. Yeah, I really like Pecos Bill's as well. It's my go-to quick service in the Magic Kingdom. It's enough where you can get one entree and share and go to the toppings bar, get some cheese, get some (laughs) salsa. Cheese! Welcome to the Cheese Podcast. And yeah, this was one I was considering as well that didn't quite make my list, but that I do really enjoy. All right. Speaking of things that didn't make your list, do you have any honorable mentions? I do. So one is Jiko, which is an Animal Kingdom Lodge. The uh, entrance is right across from Boma, actually. It's a signature restaurant, which means it's open for dinner and it's a little bit higher end and has a dress code. 
and it's delicious. Been there twice. Another one with a separate vegetarian menu. Service is excellent. Food is excellent. Great wine list. They have a lot of South African wine choices and some that you can't find in other parts. You definitely can't find them in other parts of Disney World, and they can be hard to find in the rest of the U.S. So, Chico, love it. So first up on my honorable mentions is Casey's Corner over in the Magic Kingdom at the end of Main Street, USA. If you're a hot dog eater, I'm sure the hot dogs are acceptable. Uh, I had the vegan slaw dog, and I didn't realize it came with french fries last time I went and got mac and cheese with it as well. Another good experience with mobile ordering, fun theming, not just super immersive, but good food, good price, and the mac and cheese is a chef kiss. Yeah, can't wait to go there and try that vegan dog. So another honorable mention from me is Trader Sam's Tiki Terrace. Yes, it's technically a bar or a lounge, but they do have quite a bit of food. I've actually never been to the inside Trader Sam's because it's very crowded and I have not been there at the right time to get in right at four o'clock when it opens. But there's lots of outdoor seating, good menu, lots of yummy rum drinks, and it's a nice place to watch Happily Ever After from the Magic Kingdom. Very good. I will go ahead and add Beer Garden. I think this might be on your list as well. It is on my honorable mention. Germany in Epcot. It's a buffet-style restaurant uh, with German food, and you get dinner and a show. Yeah, there's a polka band that plays. Um, They do a set of maybe 15 or 20 minutes, and they come out about once an hour. So you're guaranteed to see them at least once while you're dining there. They do have communal family-style tables that seat eight. So if you're in a group smaller than eight, you will be sitting with strangers. Yay! If you're an extrovert, maybe that sounds fun. If you're me, it's a little bit awkward, but the food and service and environment make it still worth it, despite that. Yeah, I don't know if I would want to go to a beer garden alone, but definitely, as long as you have a couple people with you, it's no problem sitting with strangers. Yeah, and you're if you're in a big group with eight people, then you'll get a whole table to yourself. Any more honorable mentions for you? Maya Grill in Coronado Springs. It's a table service restaurant. It's got sort of a Mexican slash Southwest theme. And our server was excellent. She was so friendly, um, so personable. We had a lot of fun and she was happy to recommend the best things to eat, the best substitutions to make as a vegetarian. And it was delicious and a pretty good value. Okay, so my number one is at the Swan. It is Il Molino. I've only been there once, but one of the best experiences I've had. Um, that was uh, the same day I went to Beer Garden, actually, with several friends. So we were we were stuffed. We took our time getting into the restaurant. We were there two and a half hours. I think they have a very loosely enforced dress code. Tell us about the eggplant, B. So they have a complimentary eggplant, and it's some kind of meat. It might be salami. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on it, because it's probably wrong. Vegetarian. Don't know everything about meat. Um, but it's like a it's like a roasted, thinly sliced, very well-seasoned, very tender eggplant appetizer. It's delicious. It's amazing. It would be a great meal by itself. We had the tiramisu. 
There is complimentary limoncello at the end of the evening if you didn't leave your driver's license on a train in New Jersey a few days prior. If you're into it, there's also a cigar bar, which we did not partake in, mostly because we did not understand the logistics of how cigar smoking works, so don't smoke, kids. Um, But that's an option if you'd like as well. Very good evening. We spent two and a half hours there and then walked back through Epcot after it was closed to get to the car. So great food. They also have wine on tap. Oh, fancy, I think. Isn't, yeah, it's, it's unique. Not super common at Disney restaurants. Also, fantastic location. If you're coming from Epcot, it's a nice leisurely stroll, 15 or 20 minutes. Or you can take the Friendships. Um, we were there 30 minutes after the park had closed, but they were very gracious in letting us go back to our car. And just as a side note, it's always interesting to see a Disney park with fewer people in it and after close. And especially Epcot is so cool to see at night with all the lights on World Showcase. Oh, yeah, um, it's beautiful. All right. My number one is California Grill at the Contemporary Resort. I mean, the biggest thing about California Grill is... The views. It's on the very top floor of the Contemporary Resort, 15th floor, and you can see really all around the entire property. Of course, it's close to Magic Kingdom, so you have some great views of the park. I've been at around 5.30, which in the winter was close to sunset, so I've seen the sunset from California Grill, and of course, the fireworks. If you dine at California Grill and you want to time it to where you'll be in your seat at the fireworks, you can do that. You can ask that the server hold your entree until after the fireworks and you can go out onto the observation deck outside and watch the fireworks. And if you dine earlier in the evening, you can also come back up at fireworks time and show your receipt and they'll let you come view the fireworks then as well. The food is delicious, high quality, good variety. It changes seasonally. So every time you go back, there will be something new to try. They have gourmet sushi. They have steaks. They have pasta. They have more vegetable oriented dishes. And again, a great wine list. I mean, it's California themed, so you got to have a good wine list. And I will Definitely be back to California Grill. Oh, and I've also had brunch there once. Um, The brunch is, it's definitely a splurge meal, um, but it was the princess half marathon weekend and we had just run our first Disney race. So we decided to celebrate with brunch the next day. It's a good way to celebrate. It, yeah, it was great. We sat at our table for over two hours, never felt rushed. It was so relaxing. Got to see the beautiful, sunny daytime views of the whole Walt Disney World Resort. And I would definitely do brunch again. It is, a, it is not a cheap meal. It is a splurge. So it would have to be a special occasion, but I'll do it again. Yeah, California Grill is definitely on my list. But yeah, so that's our top five-ish uh, restaurants on Walt Disney World property. And we've been to lots of them. Yep. We love food. need to go to more. Yes. Well, that's about it for us today on the Resort Hoppers podcast. We hope you enjoyed our first episode. If you're not already subscribed, be sure to do so in your podcast player of choice. You can find us on Instagram at the Resort Hoppers. We're on Twitter at the Resort Hop. 
the resort hoppers is too long for Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we're on Tumblr, the resort hoppers. You can also find us at the resort hoppers. Com. If you have a question or an idea for a future show, you can contact us via social media or email us theresorthoppers at gmail.com. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>